We're going to continue on this series today, but before the, we do that, I just want to—I want to pause just for a moment, um, and I want to spend just a just a couple moments in prayer um, for our nation. Uh, we saw uh, another tragedy happen uh, recently uh, with George Floyd, and I just want to take a moment uh, and spend a little bit of time in prayer uh, before we continue on. Uh, today. So would you join me? God, we thank you um, that you are calling us to be more like you. And God, I want to pray that your church in this moment, um, God, we want to be part of the solution. Um, We want to humble ourselves. We want to recognize that you're on the move and we want to do the things that you're calling us to do. Uh, Father, we believe that you are a God of justice and mercy. And so we pause this morning to say, God, would you come and have your way uh, in and through your church that the church would be a difference maker in the community. And we stand this morning uh, in solidarity with uh, the family of George Floyd who lost uh, their father, Uh, who lost a son, and God, we just pray that you would come and minister through the Holy Spirit to the people who are hurting and in pain right now. We recognize that there is pain and loss and confusion that's happening right now, and Holy Spirit, would you come and move and have your way in Jesus' name, amen. So today, um, we want to continue on this series, and I'm, I'm excited about this series. We're, we're coming off of a series called From Death to Life, and, and we're moving in, and we moved in last week to this series, Wisdom Over Fear. And um, one of the questions that, that was asked in, in the previous series was, why not me, why not now? And so we're going to continue that over into this series, um, into the series Wisdom Over Fear. Uh, And I just want to reiterate a couple things. Uh, First of all, when we read the Old Testament, um, and we have to read it within the context of the culture, uh, we can't read it as just a 20 uh, you know, a, a 21st century person. We have, to, we have to read it in the culture, and we also have to read it then in the light of the New Testament. And, and it doesn't change the meaning of the Old Testament. What it does is it gives it richer meaning as we look at it, um, as we know that, that Jesus Christ, right, is, is the Savior of the world, that, that this whole book called the Bible— is pointing to Jesus. It's talking about the character of God. It's, it's God's rescue plan, if you will. And so as we venture through this series and the book of Daniel, which is found in the Old Testament, we're going to look at all these characters in this book, right? Uh, we're going to see Daniel. We're going to see Hananiah, Mishael, uh, Azariah, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, uh, Darius, Cyrus. We get to see all of these people. But here's in the, all of these characters, we can't forget 
that the book is about the character of God. And really, when we, when we lose sight of that, we lose sight of what the book is really about. It's about God's character. It's about his faithfulness. It's about his goodness. It's about his sovereignty. And what we learn is there's this thing in the Bible called a, a meta narrative, right? And so from the onset in Genesis to the end revelation, there's this theme that's carried throughout. And that theme is called God. And it's called redemption. And we see God's grace and his mercy and his sovereignty throughout the entirety of the scriptures. So as we dig into this book called Daniel, um, we have to say, okay, when did this place, when did this take place? What is the context of this? And so chapter one kind of gives us this timeline, uh, starting in the first couple of verses and going to uh, chapter or verse 21, we see uh, that we have uh, Jehoiakim's reign. It's the third year of his reign, which happens to be 605 BC. And then it goes to the first year of King Cyrus, which is 539 BC. And so we have this kind of timetable that's given here. And so what we want to look at today, we're just going to look at a few verses in the, in the first part of Daniel chapter 1. And, and it reads like this, Daniel uh, chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, it reads like this. During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. Now these first two verses should speak to us. And here's what, here's what they say, that God is sovereign right he is in control it's so funny we can look at a powerful nation and a powerful ruler like nebuchadnezzar oh wow he was allowed to do whatever he wanted oh his babylonia was this huge empire and they were allowed to do whatever they wanted but we realize as we read it says this the lord gave him victory over the Lord gave him victory over, that God is sovereign, that it doesn't matter how powerful a person or a nation might be, it doesn't matter how slick their plan for advancement for the future, or it doesn't matter what weapons they might have, God is sovereign over all. And here's what I want us to take away just from those two verses. God has a grand view. He has the view, right? He can see forever. And what we see is a small blip on this gigantic timeline. And so he is in control. Those first two verses stress that, that God is sovereign and he is in control. And if we go on to verse 3, it says this. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other nobles 
or other noble families who had been brought to Babylonia as captives. He said this, select only strong, healthy, and good-looking men. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve the royal palace. Train these men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azura were four of the young men chosen all by the tribe of Judah. The chief of, chief of staff renamed them these Babylonian names. Daniel was Belteshazzar, Hananiah was Shadrach, Mishael was Meshach, Azariah was called Abednego. Now, what we see happening in these verses, verses 3 through 7, is this. We see what is called enculturation. This is happening to these Judean young men. What they're doing, they're eating, they're sleeping, they're studying, uh, they're even being named Babylonian names. They are being absolutely enculturated, right? And this was very intentional because how could you serve the king if you didn't know everything that was going on? And we see this is going to be a long process. This is a three-year process. This is, this is huge. So the things that they're learning uh, and their aptitude for learning, what we're going to see is they had a great aptitude for learning. Part of that was because of the natural gifts they had and the God-given gifts they had. And then what we're going to see is that they lean into the wisdom of God. And so here's what we see in these three verses, or these several verses is this, that the best food is offered to them. Because in this enculturation process, of course, if the food and wine that was given to this great empire, to this great nation of Babylon, if it was good enough for them to make them strong, then of course it would be good enough for these newcomers, these Judean boys to make them strong, to make them into strong men. And so the next thing that we see is their names. Now, in our culture, in this modern Western culture, we might find it difficult to understand that there's a, there's a deep connection between a name and your identity. Now, for some of us, we understand that we've, we've named our kids significant names and they're attached and there's, and there's but it, the, the culture of the ancient Near East is huge, right? Your name and your identity are integrally connected. I mean, the, it's, it's very important. And so Daniel who means, that means God is my judge, becomes Belteshazzar. Belteshazzar, all right? Say that four times quick. And what this means is this. May a God protect his life. Or a lady, a goddess, protect the king. Totally switches the name, right? Uh, Azariah means Yah is my help, becomes Abednego, which is servant of Nabu. 
and Nabu is a, a Babylonian god of writing. And Hananiah and Mishael, those are up in the air of what their names meant. But here's what they meant in, in, the, um, in Israel. They meant this. Hananiah meant Yah has been generous. Mishael meant who is what God is. And their names were switched. And this is part of this process of, hey, we're going to make them into Babylonian men. And so, but here's what we come out of this and we say this, that Daniel and his friends understood the sovereignty of God. They understood that God was reigning over all, that he had a purpose and he had a plan and everything. This is how they could be exiled into and brought into this new nation, into this training program, and they could know that God is in control. This is how they can live in a foreign land, and yet living in a foreign land be blessed with wisdom in the middle of their circumstance. It wasn't just when things were going great. They knew that God was in control, and they were being blessed with wisdom in the middle of their circumstance as they relied on God. And this is how they could share the hope of the living God with those around them in the middle of their situation. Now, does it make these young men superheroes? I don't believe it does. I believe it makes them followers of the living God. That they've dedicated their lives. And and here's what I, I have to believe this. That you're being transformed right in the front right in front of people who have taken you captive. Your life is being transformed. Your life is being lived out. You see the hope that is in the living God. You put your reliance on in God, and this is being shown to everyone around you. And these young men, there's no doubt about it. They were gifted. It said at the beginning, select the good-looking men who have intellect, okay? That's basically the synopsis. And so they were, they were already gifted, but as they leaned into God, their gifts, their, wisdoms, their wisdom increased. They were becoming more and more dependent on God in the middle of their situation. And so the the question that we have to ask is this, how does this connect to you and to me today, right? Because we can do this, I think you've probably, you know, if you've been in church for a while, you've probably heard this Bible story, right? Maybe you went to that VBS, maybe you volunteered at that VBS, right? Where there was Daniel, there was the lion's den, we've been there, right? Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. We, okay, we, we're going to see all of this. But here's what my thought is. What is the connection to today? These people, these young men who were taken into exile into a foreign land, it has to go beyond this. Hey, be like Daniel. Don't be like Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, if that's the only connection we make, I think that we're, we're, we're short playing this. There's so much more that this is saying. And, and it says this, I believe it says this, that, that although Daniel is a great example, again, I stress this, the book is about God and what he can and will do. And in our day, in our time, do we not struggle with the same questions? Is God in control? 
Is he in control? Are things just running amok? If the, if the right person isn't in office, are our lives over? Is, is there any hope for today? I can't imagine, and, and I'm just going to say this, I can't imagine that these four individuals who this book is, is kind of, it is the character, they're the characters in chapter one for sure, is do you not think at some moment in, in, in this exile, they, they had this thought, man, is, is God in control? See, what we do is we put, a, we put a hero helmet on these people like they, like they weren't human. So they asked these questions, but here's what they made a determination was this. Yes, God is in control, and because he's in control, I will choose to follow him. In the middle of this process, you can change my name, but you can't change who my God is. You can try to shape me into something that you want me to be, but I'm going to be who God wants me to be because I am relying fully on him. And I think that's the connection that we can make today. The scripture says it like this in 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12. It says this, Dear friends, I warn you, remember, the New Testament sheds light on the Old Testament. It doesn't change the meaning. It gives it a more perfect look, though. And it says this, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners. I wonder if they felt like that. To keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give God, they will give honor to God when he judged the world. Do you think that was the thought that they might have had going on? Like, hey, we're in this situation. It's not pretty. But, but God, I'm going to rely on God and the things that he is speaking to our hearts. As we continue on with this series, as we continue to look at Daniel, what we're going to see is, is it, it required a complete and total reliance on what God was doing, what God was saying in that moment. And I wonder if you and I are like that today. I don't know about you. Um, you know, I was talking with some friends and, and we were talking about how much we don't know the answers to everything. And I don't know about you, the older I get, uh, the more I realize that how much I don't know. And, but I do know this. There's one thing that I know for certain, that God is in control, that he is sovereign, that he has a purpose, and he has a plan. Beyond everything and with everything that is going on, that he is in control, that there is hope that is found in Jesus. And right now, if you will, I think a lot of us find ourselves in situations that are foreign to our norm. And because they're foreign to our norm, we have to ask several questions. And one of them is this, is God in control? In the middle of everything that is going on, is he in control? And that's where we start. That's where we start and we, and we can begin to trust in God. And we can begin to say, yes, he is in control. I'm going to tell you a story just happened to me um, previous to recording this. All right? 
Um, you guys know, I'm just being real, like Jen, she, she lost her job, right? And so we have that going on, and we're thinking about that. How could we not think about that? So, but we're saying, okay, God, you're giving us an opportunity here. We're going to lean into you. And this isn't us being superheroes. This is, hey, we're just living out what we believe God is calling us to do. That's it. I'm not looking for a pat on the back, anything, right? So we're just living this out. And so about a week ago, I hear this whining in my car. And I'm no mechanic, all right? But I knew it didn't sound good. And I thought with my mechanical expertise that, it was a wheel bearing, a wheel hub. I don't even know what it's called, all right? But it sounded like it was, you know, you'd increase speed, the wine would increase, da-da-da-da. So I take it in to my mechanic. I'm like, hey, I think this is a wheel bearing, and you know me. I know everything about cars, so can you please check it out? He checks it out. He puts it up on the rack. He says, he calls me back, and you guys have got this call before. I know you have, and, and he says, hey, I've got some bad news. And when a mechanic calls and tells you that, automatically, I don't know about you, but your gut kind of just sinks, and you're like, oh, my gosh, what is this going to be, right? And he says, Andy, it's, it's not the wheel bearing. Um, it's not CV joint, like a boot. Uh, it's your transmission. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Now, there's a couple things that I know about cars, if your motor goes bad or your transmission goes bad, those equal dollar signs, big dollar signs. And so I'm like, oh, my gosh. So I call around to a couple places, and then I finally just I take it into Subaru and uh, the Subaru dealership, and I drop it off. And I'm like, part of me is just sick. You know, I know God is in control. I know he is, but I'm still just sick because I'm like, God, are you in control, <laughs> right? And if I'm just being real, like, God, you know, like right now is not a real good time for the transmission to go out as if he didn't know that. And I get this call back from a Subaru dealership, and she has a similar tone to my mechanic. And I'm like, oh, no. So I'm out on my front porch, and... And she calls and she says, hey, it's the transmission. It's bad. And I'm like, oh, sinking feeling. Like, are you kidding me? She follows it up with this. But Subaru uh, actually extended the warranty on that to 100,000 miles. And so the warranty will be out in August or 100,000 miles, whatever comes first. So actually your transmission is going to be in tomorrow. And we'll put it in the car by by Friday, and you'll have your car back, and it'll have a brand new transmission. And can I just tell you, I told the lady on the phone, I think she thought I was kidding. I said, I literally could cry right now. And she laughed at me, but I was like, I'm so serious. Like, I literally am about to weep on the phone. So I had to get off the phone real quick. But I'm like, thank you, God. Like, thank you, thank you, Thank you. She says, you just saved, she say, $11,000. I'm like, well, anyways, I wouldn't have paid $11,000. But, like, thank you, God. Right? Like, in the midst of everything that's going on, 
here's this silver lining. And I mean bright silver lining. So, uh, you know, when, you, when you're watching this, like, I'll have a brand new transmission in my car. And it'll be for zero dollars and zero cents. And so God is in control. He's in the midst of where we are. And so I just want to encourage you with that. That, man, we are temporary residents. That we are foreigners here. Like, we have been put on this earth, though, to spread the hope of Jesus Christ. And if you can relate to that, if you say, man, I, I just sometimes struggle. I, I just wonder, is God in control? In my own life, you know, I'm wondering, I lost my job. Is God in control? You know, I, I lost a, a significant person in my life to, to a disease. Is God in control? And I just want to encourage you with this this morning that God is in control. He loves you. He knows right where you are. Even when it doesn't feel like he is in control, he is absolutely in control. And so as we talk about this wisdom over fear, here's what I would pray for you and for me, is that we would seek God in every situation, that we would seek God, that we would take the moments to spend time with him, to know his voice, to hear him, and to be with him. And so I just want to encourage you this morning that you uh, would do that. And so if you would pray with me. God, we just thank you that you are in the midst of every situation. And we thank you, God, that you are in control. And that you rule and you reign. And I thank you, God, that you love us. And you love us right where we are. You don't put a condition on things. You love us right where we are. You love each one of us. And Father, my prayer today is this, that we would live a life that isn't looking for to earn credit with you because you already love us. You will never love us anymore. You love us the same. <laughs> Yesterday, today, and forever, your love for us is the same. And so, Father, I pray that we would just walk in that, that we would recognize your forgiveness, that we would recognize your graciousness, that, you would that we would recognize that you're calling us to be transformed into your likeness, Jesus. And Father, I pray that that, that would happen, that you would be the absolute, the thing that we're running after. God, that, that when things come to distract us, we would keep our focus on you. That in the middle of the situation, in the middle of the diagnosis, in the middle of the loss of job, in the middle of being just on, on the greatest path we've ever been on, that our eyes would be fixed on you. And God, that we would come to you and that we would choose wisdom over fear. And that we would see you rule and reign. And that we would see our lives transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. So would you come even now and begin that process in our lives? In Jesus' name.
Amen. I do want to give you an opportunity too, if you're there and you're watching and you're saying, you know, I want to know this hope, this hope that's in Jesus. The only way that you'll know this is to be in a relationship. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's about knowing him. And I just want to encourage you now, if that's you, I would love for you to say, yeah, that's me. I, I, wanna, I want to be in a relationship with Jesus. And so on your Connect card, if you would fill that out, we are going to have people that are going to contact you. Uh, even right now in, in the chat window, uh, there's an opportunity for you to respond to that. And uh, I just hope that, that you find the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. Can't wait to see you next week at 10 a.m. Have a great weekend and a great week next week. Peace.